Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about integrative and functional medicine and how you can use them in tandem for your best and healthiest outcome while living with MS. No matter where you are in the trajectory of your disease, whether you've just been diagnosed or you've had it for 30 years, you may have asked yourself, what else can I be doing above and beyond the drugs I'm taking or the infusions I'm getting? There has to be something else I can be doing. That's where our next guest, Dr. Susan Peyrovi, comes into play. Dr. Peyrovi is the co-founder of True Medicine, which you'll hear more about in this episode. She's board certified in integrative and functional medicine and has dedicated her practice to a whole person approach to treatment that goes beyond simply throwing drugs at a patient to see what sticks. Over and above her degrees that hang on the wall, Dr. Peyrovi is even more uniquely qualified to provide advice to her patients because she herself lives with MS. Please join Jody and I in welcoming Dr. Susan Peyrovi as she educates us on the power of lifestyle habits that can lead to lifelong wellness. Everybody, welcome Dr. Susan Peyrovi. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. As I mentioned in the intro, you are you specialize in integrative and functional medicine. Uh, it's something I got interested in shortly after I got diagnosed and wondered, how do I take better care of myself? And the irony being that I was a physician and I really didn't know what else I could do beyond medication. So I landed an integrative medicine conference where I learned about lifestyle habits and how powerful they can be. And I started putting them into practice, started noting improvements over the course of a year or two. I actually made progress on symptoms that were kind of lingering for more than a year, which I didn't expect to have so much improvement. And then as I kind of hung out in the integrative medicine world, where I was learning about sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress management, and the impact of toxins on the human body, I kept coming across functional medicine. And within a few years, I went through that program. And what I love about functional medicine is that there's a lot of overlap with integrative medicine. However, functional medicine has this very robust um, system for looking at the body through a different lens. So rather than what we do in Western medicine, where we chop up the body into organs and we give each doctor an organ to be in charge of, in functional medicine, we think about functions and systems. So we're looking at functions like the energy production um, processes of the body. And this is like where the mitochondria come in. Uh, we talk about um, how we bring outside things into the body, like incorporating food or air into our body. So we think a lot about functions and also systems like uh, the gut microbiome, for example. So it's a very robust way of looking at the body. And it's not at all at odds with conventional Western medicine. It's just another lens. It's another way of looking at the human body and thinking about how can we optimize through supporting these different body systems to improve function? So it's a really useful lens because of course, no system of medicine can treat everything. For example, um, traditional Chinese medicine has its limitations and so does conventional Western medicine. 
And so for symptoms that are maybe not adequately addressed by Western medicine, sometimes taking a functional medicine approach, actually, I should say often, um, is, it's very helpful because you think about different underlying causes of a disease process and you start tackling those. And the way you do that is really through lifestyle. Um, and so this is where there's so much overlap between integrative medicine and functional medicine. And by using the two, you're actually treating the entire patient not just the disease. Am I correct? Correct. Because each of us has more um, facets to us than just the physical, right? We have our mental, emotional, um, spiritual, social aspects of us. And so often with chronic diseases, especially when it's um, autoimmunity, there's a lot going on in the realm of the psycho-emotional. And so if you really truly want to treat somebody as a whole organism, you can't ignore those other perspectives. And so as part of what a functional medicine doctor would do is to do a very thorough intake, creating a timeline of your life, even from gestation all the way through your fetal life and beyond to now, looking at all the different forces that have acted on you. And that helps us make uh, connections between perhaps stressful events in your adult life, or even as children, you know, we now know that adverse childhood experiences have profound effects on um, adult health. So for us to ignore that as part of someone's care is to not give them complete care. So this is why it's important to look at all of those different perspectives. Wonderful. Jody, thoughts? Um, I like I like your definition of functional medicine about uh, looking at the function and looking at the system of things. It's kind of like what Brooke said, though, too. It's about, you know, looking at things as the whole person. I think when we think about traditional medicine, it's like, oh, I have specificity. So give me baclovin or give me give me a specific drug to treat that symptom. But looking functional, like looking at all of the symptom or all of these different systems and not just saying, oh, well, this is how we treat it. But looking at the different ways that perhaps the specificity is manifesting like it's just it's it's interesting to hear it from a different perspective than just the traditional western medicine perspective and specificity for example is a symptom that's really hard to treat right you have to take pharmaceuticals if you're following a western medicine um, protocol but there are other things we could do and that doesn't necessarily replace your medications but thinking about traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture um, stress management all of these things can actually help so it's about putting a lot of different tools together and um, pulling from all these different systems of medicine I think that's where you really get the most synergy and the best outcomes with MS how do you convince a patient? that this approach is a good one? Because I'm sure you have patients who, it's Western medicine all the way, it's all they know, everything's black and white, everything's by the book. How, like, how do you soften them to consider this kind of complementary treatment? That's a really good question. And I have to say, most of my patients um, come to me because nothing else has worked for them. So that's their 
entry into the world of integrative and functional medicine. They've tried psychiatry, they've tried pain management, they've, they've done it all. And so they're just looking for something else. And, you know, I've never been good at convincing people. I just put the information out there and I try to, um, I work a lot in groups with patients. I find that it's really powerful. We do shared medical visits at Stanford where I, my clinical practice is. And I, it, I don't feel that it's very effective when I tell a patient that you need to go do this. But when another person in the group says, I started exercising and my fatigue has improved, that's often all that patient needs to hear before they're convinced. So hearing it from their peers is really important. So I try to create those opportunities. Um, some people are data-driven. So there's a lot of data behind integrative and functional medicine. So I can present data when I have someone who's a um, an engineer or a data yes. person, right? Everybody's yes. different. Um, and I often just use myself as an example. I don't ask my patients to do anything I haven't done before. I've done it all because I want to know exactly what people have to ex um, expect out of a therapy and what works and what are the pitfalls. So having that conversation with a person who also has MS when I have MS, it, it's, a, it's a nice way to connect just human to human and say, look, this worked for me and I'd love for it to work for you. And I'm not asking you to do everything at once. How about we pick one small thing? And actually that's the key to habit change. It's not about making giant um, goals and you know trying to achieve them in a month. It's literally about waking up one more minute earlier in the morning and meditating for one minute a day for 30 days. Because when people do that, they invariably like how it feels and they, they increase it to two and five minutes and so on. Or, you know, we talk about, okay, how about you eat one more vegetable a day? So starting easy is really important because we want to have big wins up front. And so when people come into this area of medicine, it's, it's, it's just a different feel. It's a different energy. It's not this top down, you know, doctor to patient kind of interaction. Like I think of myself as the same level. We talk person to person and we try new, we try things. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not, but there's always the pivot. You just kind of try the next thing. And I always tell my patients, follow the energy, just do the thing that interests you. Don't, don't go run. If you hate running, <laughs> you know, right. follow, follow what your gut wants you to do. Right. When patients come to you, do you think they're looking to be cured or to stop their MS, to slow the progression of their MS? Or are they coming to you to feel better while having MS, no matter where they're at in their, the progression of their disease? People come in at all different levels, actually, and their knowledge levels around integrative and functional medicine is different. So I have patients who come in and they think that functional medicine is you know, the magic secret that's going to cure everything. And I really wish it was because I would have used it myself, <laughs> right? Uh, and cured myself. But I don't, unfortunately, we don't have a cure for MS. What we can do though, is put into practice different strategies and see what happens. And I do have a lot of patients who maybe don't come in with realistic expectations, but they quickly understand that it's not really about cure. It's more about quality of life, 
how do we get through our day where we have less symptoms and we um, are able to engage in the things we love and enjoy, interact with the people that are in our lives, right? And so um, there's all different levels of expectations. And I think it's unrealistic to you know, think that if you follow all of these steps that you're gonna be perfect, there's no such thing. But what I always tell my patients is, I can't guarantee a cure, but I guarantee if you start working on these things, you will actually have better health. You will move your body towards greater balance. Hopefully you'll have less symptoms. You'll have better quality of life. So it's worth doing, you know, if somebody really truly wants to live their best life with MS. Jody, Um, you talk about, I've downloaded quite a few of, um, your free resources and you've got a few different lists and I'm sure we're going to go more into more into that, what these kind of lifestyle factors are. If someone was listening, I appreciate how you're saying, you know, one small habit, one small thing at a time, and everyone is coming from a different standpoint per se, but what do you think, or would you even say that maybe there's one area that you think would make the biggest impact on someone? So if the question is what one lifestyle habit would have the biggest impact, um, you know, I used to say, I love all the lifestyle habits the same, like my children. But now I have an opinion, actually. Um, I read a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And I am 100% convinced that sleep is the foundation to good health. Because you could be eating right, you could be exercising, meditating, and doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. But if you are sleep deprived, you're not going to make as much progress. Sleep is just so important for immune health. The immune system and the sleep system are constantly talking to each other. And when things are okay in the realm of sleep, the immune system calms down. And so if you want a more calm, a better regulated and less inflamed immune system, you've got to sleep. So what do you say to those MS patients out there, which there are many, who have difficulty with sleep. They have disruptive sleep patterns. Yep. So it's very common to have disrupted sleep with MS. And there's many reasons for that. It has to do with hormones. It has to do with the different stages of sleep and how you transition from one to the next. Symptoms, pain, all of those things can interfere. But there is a way to start making gains in sleep. So I always talk to people about changing our mindset around sleep. I think some people just have it in in their head that I don't know how to sleep. My body doesn't sleep. I've had insomnia for 40 years. Actually, our bodies are programmed to sleep, but we have to create the conditions. So some of the most important things to getting yourself longer, deeper, more restorative sleep is to have a bedtime routine. You can't go from going hundred miles an hour and washing your dishes and paying your bills and watching the news to putting your head down and expecting a good night's sleep. Like you just have to transition the brain from wakefulness to to sleep. Um, Also, there's two things I have people do during the day that will help impact their um, nighttime sleep quality. Um, Exercise 
is one of the best regulators of nighttime sleep. So if you're really serious about getting good quality sleep, you've got to exercise and do it for a few weeks, do it for two to four uh, weeks and start paying attention to how the quality of your sleep is changing. It doesn't take that long to start noticing a change. The other thing is getting outside, being exposed to natural light, because that is actually a cue to your brain um, to tell your circadian rhythms, hey, this is daytime. And when the light goes down, you want to um, be exposed to more darkness. So staying off of our screens, turning down the ambient light in our house, those things help. We got to cue the brain to what's daytime and what, what's nighttime. So those three things, you know, the bedtime routine, uh, outside time every day, 30 to 60 minutes at least, and daily exercise are the foundations of getting good nighttime sleep. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. Basically, what I do to get good sleep is, and call me crazy, but it works and I, I do seem to sleep well. I stay up. I don't have a specific bedtime, but I almost always go to bed at the same time because I stay up so late until I cannot keep my eyes open anymore because that's when I know I've got to go to bed. I don't go to bed when I'm still wide awake. So I typically go to bed between 12 and one every night. So can I add something about that? Yeah. I know that that works for a lot of people because they say, if I go to bed early, I will just lay there for hours. Right. And there are things actually you could do to get to sleep earlier. And here's why it's important to get to bed earlier, because we actually respond to the shifts in the natural environment. We have these circadian rhythms that take their cues from what's happening outside. And so they determine what our hormones do. And for example, our hormone um, melatonin that's secreted from the pineal gland, it likes to peak around 10 o'clock at night. And melatonin is not a sedative, um, contrary to what most people think, because you can go buy a bottle of it, right? But right. it's a hormone we produce. Um, melatonin can actually um, be very, um, well, what melatonin does is it is like the orchestrator of sleep, of the onset of sleep. So it calls in all the important um, players to come in and start inducing sleep. So if you are staying much up much later than 10, you may be missing out on that um, spike of melatonin at night at around 10 o'clock. And the other hormone that's really important is cortisol and cortisol and melatonin are mirror hormones. So when one's up, the other one's down. So cortisol's at its lowest levels around 10 PM to midnight. And then it likes to spike about 30 to 45 minutes after you wake up. And so it's really important to stay within these shifts in the natural environment by going to bed earlier so that you can kind of let the hormones do what they naturally want to do. And you want to be awake during the light hours and you want to be asleep during the dark hours. And that's how you kind of keep your brain on track, keep your circadian rhythms finely tuned. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. You know, I was, I was surprised. I figured so much in the, in the MS world, when you say, what's the, what's the biggest lifestyle habit? Most people would say nutrition. So for you to say sleep and, you know, it's convicting and it's also kind of challenging. I think for, for many in the MS community, we've all restricted our diet so much and we kind of buy into one or the other, which can be opposite of each other. But this idea of sleep, I think 
I know for myself and my husband, we're so addicted to our devices and our phones. So when people say, put your phones down, turn off the screens, like there's almost like an a rebellion coming from him. Um, but it's very interesting. You know, you're talking about the hormone cycle. And recently I worked, you know, with a health coach and I used to do um, intermittent fasting. I wouldn't eat until like one or two every day. And he said, you know, you're really messing up your hormones by when that cortisol spike happens in the morning and by not eating, it can mess things up. And, and he talked a lot about, you know, the melatonin. And so what you're saying about these shifts in melatonin and cortisol, it really resonates. And it was a new thing for me to hear. So I, I hope that some people that are listening, they, they think about this because I know sometimes when we hear the word hormones, we think of estrogen and testosterone and not necessarily cortisol and men- melatonin and, and things like that. But there's there's so many more factors um, when in regards to hormones, hormones, and then just like the sex hormones. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing that with us. And I and I hope that, you know, the hearers will do some more research on their own and really investigate what's going on, especially when it comes to sleep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just taking the example of hormones, you can get really, you know, detailed and granular and start thinking about, well, how do you optimize this hormone and that hormone? Right. And it can feel very overwhelming, but just by the act of going asleep and being asleep by 10 o'clock, you pull a lot of things into balance. So I think when we talk about hormone balancing, a lot of people are thinking about like, okay, I go get my dose of whatever hormone that needs to be balanced, but really, truly, we can actually balance our hormones just by our daily behaviors. You mentioned exercise or physical movement, and of course, we're the MS gym, so that's what we're all about is movement. What kind of benefits can a patient gain from exercise? Like what, what are things that we wouldn't think about other than, you know, we feel stronger, maybe we lost some weight. What are some other kind of hidden yet MS specific gains that we might see in exercise? Yeah. Exercise is magic. I mean, it really is for the mind and the body. You know, we typically think of exercise as it's good for your heart and for your lungs and, but let's go beyond that, I love talking about the lesser known benefits of exercise, because I think whenever you kind of get a little bit deeper and understand the why it helps you want to do that thing that now, you know, why it's good for you. So exercise might actually be the most important modulator of nighttime sleep. Um, So if you want to get good sleep, I already said, get exercise. We talked about um, exercise um, as being, you know, I always talk about it as this tool that has so many benefits. In fact, it's one of, it's an actually a really potent anti-inflammatory tool, right? You can bring inflammation down, exercise. Um, Just by the act of exercising, your gut microbiome will become more diverse and more of the good friendly bugs will live there, right? So I know we talk a lot about taking probiotic supplements, but that's not really sustainable and it's expensive. And you're only getting the bugs that are in that capsule. So if you can just exercise and move your body, you will start changing what's growing in your gut microbiome. And that's powerful. And that's, that doesn't really cost anything, right? If you can just go outside your house Mm -hmm. and walk and do, you know, whatever you love to do. Um, other things that it can do, um, well, uh, for mood, I consider exercise your immediate 
anti-anxiety tool, your, you know, mood lifter, both during and after exercise. And if you don't believe me, you got to just do it and pay attention. Uh, I, you know, I think we all live with some level of anxiety, right? Time pressure, too many things to do. Uh, my favorite way of dealing with that is to get on my treadmill and run. And I visualize burning off those molecules that make me feel jittery. So that's how I deal with anxiety. I exercise, um, but exercise also makes you really creative. Like not, not like you're going to go paint a work of art, but your problem solving skills improve. And um, you may actually come up with the answer to something that's been rolling around in your head, either during or after exercise. I can't tell you how many times I've kind of been thinking about a problem and during or after exercise, I'm like, oh, of course, the answer is this. Or if I just couldn't make a decision about some interpersonal thing, all of a sudden it's like crystal clear to me. So exercise focuses the brain. And, um, you know, this is one thing I always tell patients. I go, you know, I, I get it that you say you don't have time for exercise, but there are studies that show that when you exercise, your brain actually more works more efficiently. So you actually get that all that time back and then some. So if you've ever kind of been in front of your computer and you couldn't quite get through your work efficiently and you're kind of all over the place, go exercise for 20 minutes. You'll come back and um, you'll refocus your mind and body. And what's wonderful about exercise is because it, there's a lot of physical stimulation coming in. When we move our bodies, we integrate the body with the mind. So it's just one of the best ways to connect and integrate. And you're not particularly talking about rigorous exercise. Could, could this be as simple as doing, you know, stretching and, you know, gentle exercises? Like, are you talking about running a mile or? That's a good question. So I think it's always really important, especially with us who, you know, who have MS and have physical limitations, you just meet your body where it's at. Not everybody's going to be able to go do high intensity interval training, right? So I say, if, you're, if you haven't exercised in a while, start really easy, start slow, talk to a physical therapist just to make sure it's safe. And then you want to build slowly, but maybe you could build to a point where it's beyond your comfort zone. And maybe that's a walk, right? Or maybe it's getting into a pool and just kind of moving around or swimming a lap. Like everybody's different, right? But um, if you have mobility issues, it could be doing resistance bands um, or lifting weights. So maybe just pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone can be really helpful. Now, there's a lot of studies that actually show higher levels of intensity have more potent anti-inflammatory effects. Um, and there's this is something I get really excited about. I wish we had human studies, but we don't. But in a rat study, they showed that rats who were sort of, um, they were conditioned and exercised, and then they gave them some a, a chemical compound that causes demyelination. Okay. Then they put them through an aerobic um, exercise program um, and some resistance training as well. And um, the, at, after 24 weeks, there was actual remyel remyelination um, in, in these mice. So that's that makes me feel hopeful. We don't have human studies and I'm not gonna wait for the human studies before I decide I'm gonna go out there and exercise. Now, while their brain volumes didn't have any changes compared to the controls, they did have greater remyelination. So I'm always really interested when I hear that word. Uh, you know, I'm, I wanna do all the things that can maybe bring back some of my myelin. Right. Right. Yeah. 
And you know, one of the other things I love about exercise is that for nothing else, um, after exercise, your level of self-confidence increases and your perception of your level of um, attractiveness improves. So next time you walk by a mirror after you've exercised, just check yourself out. You're going to be like, oh, I look great, right? So these are just little things that make a difference. And exercise is powerful for improving balance, um, reducing pain, reducing fatigue, even though we talk, you know, if you, I know that sounds counterintuitive. Like if you're fatigued, don't go exercise. Actually, so much data points to improved fatigue if you can keep up with an exercise that's a good fit for you. So there's so many reasons to exercise and I think we can all benefit. I have a question just based back on the hormones and the sleep cycles. How does that work? How does, what would you suggest you talk about different, obviously exercise with the level you're at, like, what does exercise look like in a day? Like what time of day or like what, what type of exercise is going to make it better for you to sleep or harder for you to sleep based on when you do the exercise? I don't think we have data in this area of like what time of exercise is best. So, and patients ask me this all the time. And my answer is the best time for you to exercise is the time you're going to do it. (laughs) Right. And so if you're like a a 5am kind of a person and you're up and you're chipper at 5am and your body feels ready to move. Great. I love exercise early in the day because you get to feel the good benefits all day long, the mood benefits, the self-confidence boost, um, all of those things you get to take advantage of throughout the day. Um, I also love to exercise right before bed. And so, so like if I can even do really intense exercise before bed and I can still sleep, some people can't. So the important thing is that you experiment with what works for you. You know, what doesn't interrupt your sleep, um, what actually helps your sleep and when can you get it into your day? I think those are, those are the most important things to keep in mind. And then as far as what kind of exercise, you know, higher levels of intensity seem to help. Um, so if you, if that's within your physical ability, then by all means experiment with that, as long as it's safe and you don't have balance issues, but even, um, you know, low to moderate intensity can be helpful um, for for sleep and mood and all the things we talked about. So, you know, the CDC actually has some guidelines out on how much the average adult should exercise. And I'll tell you what that is, although I don't think this applies to a lot of people because of some of our physical limitations. So in one week, if you're going to do high intensity exercise, and I, I, I define that as you can't carry a conversation or sing a song while you're doing high intensity, because you're working hard. That's 75 minutes a week. However, you want to split those 75 minutes. Um, If you're going to do moderate intensity, which is not quite as intense, this is defined as you can carry a conversation, but you can't sing. This is 150 minutes. So you can do the high intensity or the moderate intensity. If you can't get into either and you're at low intensity, that's perfectly fine. Just make sure you're moving your body every day. And then the other recommendation is that you're supposed to um, do some weight training for all major muscle groups uh, twice a twice a week. So you've talked about two things in your toolbox so far. One thing is sleep. One is exercise. What about might a third tool be anything related to mindset? Oh, mindset is everything. 
yeah um you know mindset from you know how you view your life and your situation and the ms problem you know all of that matters and positive beliefs actually help us have better outcomes there's lots and lots of studies actually that um demonstrate this and so something i work on with all patients is like how do we stop start thinking about our health a different way you know um how do we tap into the positive um you know some a conversation i have a lot with my group at true medicine is we talk about what are the gifts of ms i know that sounds like a really crappy thing to um talk about but i'll tell you what you want to know what my gift of ms was I used to be an anesthesiologist and I loved it, but I worked hundred hours a week and I never slept and I ate terrible hospital food and I didn't get to see my little tiny kid. <laughs> so, um, you know, the gift of that, of MS for me was that I retrained in something that gives me much better quality of life, more balance. I can take care of my health. I also see very clearly now the things that are important to me and the things that aren't. I don't engage in friendships or relationships that aren't good for me. I try to just be very intentional about how I live my life. So for me, those are real gifts. And I don't know if I would have paid attention at, at this, at the age of, you know, 30, whatever I was 35 or whatever, however old I was when, when this happened to me. Um, so I've, I just have a different lens. So mindset is really important. The power of the mind to heal the body is important. The more we can be mindful and in the moment and, um, just living every moment as if it's just a gift uh, really makes a difference. Stress management is important. Um, that's one of the big pillars that we talk about at True Medicine um, in our online program. So yeah, the mind is truly powerful and it's one of our most um, potent tools. What would you say to people who, or has anybody ever given you pushback on the mindset portion of it, that it's, it's, that the concept is just too kind of like woo-woo that we, our minds have the ability to help us heal. Um, yeah. I mean, people say that, but there's a lot of data. If you want to get scientific about it, there are studies that show women with breast cancer who engage in mindfulness, they end up having more positive beliefs about their disease process, live longer. That's data. Like you can't refute these, you know, big studies that are done. Um, and I think sometimes you just have to experience it for yourself to really understand the power of it. Well, I also, I think to myself for any naysayers about the mindset, because a lot of people, the second you hear, they hear about mindset and helping your MS, they're like, oh, whatever, you know, mindset, sure. You know, it's kind of like overplayed. And I, I always think to myself, if we have the ability to work ourselves into a tizzy and have a heart attack hmm. based on the stress that we have created ourselves in our own mind about things that we're worrying about, then why wouldn't we have the ability to do the reverse of that? You know, our, I, I think people underestimate how powerful our mind is as it relates to the functionality of our body. Like yeah. our heart starts pumping fast based on thoughts that we're having. So, yeah. you know. No, 100% true. I mean, just think about a day when you're in a good mood. Are you in as much pain? 
Um, are you as annoyed by things around you? You know, just that positive mindset um, helps sort of color your view of the world. So yeah, and just like you said, people who engage in negative emotions, anger, anger is a bad one. You know, people who have an outburst of anger, I, I think are, um, you know, 200 times, 200% more likely to have a heart attack in the next two to three hours. Yeah, that's the mind body connection. And, um, but conversely, if you can engage in positive thoughts and emotions, you start turning on the relaxation response. And something I always try to talk about is like, how do we create a healing environment in our body? How do we let the body know that things are okay and the body doesn't have to constantly fight fires and make inflammation to deal with whatever um, danger is detected? Because once the body can stop fighting fires, then it can work on this um, work of healing and restoring and balancing. So it's up to us though, to create that environment. And it just takes behaviors, changes in behaviors and making different choices. And you don't have to do them perfectly. You just have to add on one little thing uh, over time. I'll tell you, it took me five years of adding on little things where one day I got to a place and I thought, Oh, I think I'm doing pretty good. These are, this is just how I live now. I'm not trying to build a habit anymore. This is just me. Cool. I like it. Mm-hmm. Jody, you got anything? Um, no, I really like that part about mindset. How do you, I know we all have uh, different leanings, right? There's some people that are just so positive and so optimistic. And then there's others that lean more towards a negative side of viewing life, you know, even, you know, without the added complication of MS. What What do you think is something small that someone can do just to start moving the scale the opposite way, instead of seeing everything is all negative, moving towards something positive, something easy that someone can start with. Hanging out with other positive people. Just, you know, we eat and sleep and behave like the people we're surrounded by. So if you can be in the presence of people who are optimistic, solution oriented, um, it, it starts getting you to also think in that way. Um, Other things that you could do are, you know, a gratitude journal, really just kind of digging down every day, come up with three things that you're um, uh, grateful for and, and you can't repeat. So it gets a little harder every day, but, you know, you have to want to make these changes. Unfortunately, Nobody else can do them for you. When I first started in integrative and functional medicine, I was very frustrated that I couldn't get people to eat the way I wanted them to eat. And what I realized is I can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. So people have to find that within themselves. They have to find their why and figure out like, why is this important to me? Why do I want my better health? Not because you want your MRI to look a certain way, but maybe because your goal in five years is to go and do that thing you've been thinking about. And you just need to get yourself healthy enough to get there and do it. So um, readiness is something that's really important. Not everybody's ready to jump in, but the more you hang out with people who are like-minded and health-minded, the more likely you will um, sort of follow in their steps. It's great advice. Yeah. Is integrative and functional medicine typically something that is covered by insurances? Unfortunately, most um, providers 
are not covered, they're out of network, and they're fee-for-service. So you have to pay out of pocket. There are a few places that cover them. Uh, my practice actually at Stanford is wonderful, where we get to see everybody. Um, but the problem is those practices are bursting at the seams. And that's one of the reasons I now only see people in groups because I couldn't get to everybody possibly, right? So you can search um, in your in your area to see if there is anyone that takes insurance, but typically no. And it's oftentimes expensive, right? And this is where I actually really have a problem with this because it's like, if people are sick and they have chronic illnesses, how can we bring this information to them in a way that's affordable, it's accessible, and they don't have to, you know, put up tens and thousands of dollars to be able to access an integrative or functional provider. And you, you and your practice, true, it's called true medicine, correct? You correct. offer courses. Right. And this is really from, again, my frustration with how do I reach more people? You know, in my clinical practice at Stanford, I've gone from seeing people one-on-one -on -one to seeing them in groups. So that's been a nice way to scale that. But I feel like I can still get to more people. So if I could, you know, put it using technology, put it in a format that people can access. So I've gone on to develop a program called True Medicine. It's an online program. So it's accessible to anyone with an internet connection. And what I have done is taken my own personal experience with MS as a patient. I have taken my, you know, experience as a physician, taking care of lots and lots of patients with uh, autoimmunity and MS, among every other thing that would come through, you know, uh, a doctor's office. Um, and I've really distilled down the information to just what somebody needs to know to get on the path to being healthy. Because even I, as a patient, had to go and dig in so many places before I could figure out like what's reliable and what isn't, what works and what doesn't. So you know, I feel that as a physician, it's my responsibility to put that information into a framework where people can stop this endless internet searches, come and get the information, learn it. Not hard. A lot of it is common sense. The next thing that's really hard is the implementation, right? If implementation was easy, we'd all have perfect habits because we all know what's good for us, right? So the implementation is something that we work really hard on in true medicine, we have a structured way of having you think through your goals. We have weekly meetings and our coach, um, Dr. Roberta is wonderful. Um, she will, you know, she and I um, are present at the weekly meetings and, you know, we have very structured discussions around goals and also mindset around MS. And all of the people that show up are people who are so solution oriented. I'm not going to say that we don't have our bad days and there's, there's tears there sometimes too, but we help each other move through this journey of MS together. And, and so this is a program that um, I, I hope to bring to as many people as possible. You know, giving this information out to people is just really important to me. It's, um, it was the thing that actually um, helped me become healthier. And so I think it should be available to other people. You shouldn't have to be a physician with access to, you know, all kinds of medical 
conferences and, and educational programs to be able to figure this out. So I figured out that piece. It's the implementation that we work really hard on. And we have a 12-week foundations program. And this is amazing. We've ran this program a few times now. Um, we measure symptoms at the beginning and at the end of the 12 weeks. And on average, people are almost dropping their total symptom um, burden by 50%. That's without the use of any medications, or, uh, new medications, no new supplements, no fancy gadgets. You do whatever you're doing with your neurologist, and then you do this lifestyle program with us. 50% drop you know, in, in symptoms like fatigue, anxiety, depression, pain. Um, and we have some, uh, we also have a 12 day detox challenge for MS and it's wonderful. It's 12 days. It's short, but it's a wonderful reboot for anybody who wants to kind of, um, get back into their healthy routine, or they just want to feel what it's like to all of a sudden get real healthy for 12 days. Um, so we do the 12 day MS detox challenge. That's a really fun one. And then our upcoming program is the, um, gut restoration program for MS because gut health is the foundation of good health. And all ancient forms of medicine know this, like Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. So we talk about how do you start restoring gut health? Because if you can get that right, your immune system will be a lot happier. So these are our upcoming programs next year. And as part of my commitment to educating the MS community, I do monthly webinars. So first Wednesday of the month, 4 p.m. Pacific, I take uh, an, an MS topic and I kind of put the integrative medicine, functional medicine spin to it. And we have a talk and we have questions at the end. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and all of this information can be found on our website. Wonderful. And we will, of course, be putting a link to that uh, in the episode notes. Are any of those programs, courses, whatever you want to call them, are any of them like, or are all of them work at your own speed? Um, so all of them require you, to, there's a start and a stop time for those programs um, because it helps to do it in a community with other people. This is the power of us getting together and helping each other move through change. Um, I we, uh, we are also going to have an on-demand program where you can just get the videos and you get can get access to our private Facebook group and you can work on that at your own pace. Now, I will say with our other three programs, the foundations, the gut program and the detox, it does happen within a time frame, but life happens and people get busy or, you know, they have an MS exacerbation. Uh, you get access to everything for a year. And so people go back and revisit things and, you know, we just, you just keep doing the program. You can keep reworking it. Awesome. Jody, do you have any more questions for Dr. Peyrovi? I've just, I've learned so much from you and, you know, I really appreciate um, some of your candidness about, you know, implementing different tools to, to be healthier overall, because I know, you know, we, you know, with the MS gym, like we can get so focused on a specific symptom and we negate everything else that's going on. And so, you know, I'm sure you've seen that for in your own practice, someone that comes into functional medicine and say, I want this symptom gone. I want my foot drop gone. I want this gone. And, you know, they, they implement all these changes and at the end of 12 weeks, the foot drop is still there or, but I think it's so easy to negate all the other positives all the other positive things that they've done and that they've become a healthier person. I think 
again, it probably goes back to your mindset as well, but just thinking of things more holistically in functional medicine that you said there's no, you know, be all and end all cure to MS and how powerful it is to think that the changes that, you know, we're doing, they might not get rid of that foot drop, but they might not get rid of that symptom, but it doesn't mean that all is lost, that we're just wasting our time or our money. So I appreciate hearing kind of things from a different perspective and an honest perspective from that too. Wonderful. Yeah, no, I've, um, I think there's a lot out there for us to tap into and we just, you know, there's a lot of resources. So I want people to get fired up and do the thing that's going to help them just live their life more fully. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Peyrovi, we cannot thank you enough for coming on. We, of course, are going to have links to your information uh, in the episode notes. And uh, thank you so, so much for giving us a different way to look at things. Thank you for having me here. And thanks for all the good work that you do to get everybody moving with MS. Awesome. Thank you so much. For more information on the MS Gym, you can find them on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and at www.themsgym.com. We'll see you on the next episode.